I love a dramatic story. And so actually when Jamie asked me if I would preach on Acts 2, I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a dramatic story. There is a lot going on in Acts 2. And so I'm really excited that we get to explore it together this morning. Um, we're actually going to be looking at verses 1 to 41 of Acts 2. Um, so a nice good chunk for us to work through together. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it now. I'm hoping that it might also come up on the screen for you. Um, great. So let's get into it. Um, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I... It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not, a holy one, see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand and has poured out what you now see and hear. 
For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you um, for your word. Thank you that it is um, alive and active. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and soften our hearts right now? Would you open our eyes and our ears to what you would say and what you would show us this morning? that the words we hear would land in our hearts. Would you draw us nearer to you this morning, Lord Jesus? Amen. Okay, so there is a lot going on in those 41 verses. And as I've kind of been working through the passage myself and studying it, what struck me is that the people who are witnessing everything that's going on ask some really helpful questions that we're probably asking ourselves Um, And so we're going to use these questions to kind of help us walk through the passage and get to grips with this morning. The first one, really simply, is what happens? What's happening here? The second question, which the people ask in verse 12, is what does this mean? And then the third question, which the people ask in verse 37, what should we do? I wonder if you've ever like jumped into a movie or like a TV series partway through. So you're kind of trying to figure out when I lived at home, he would kind of be like, oh, should we watch a film? Then he'd go and faff about for a bit, by which point I'm halfway through the movie. I am invested in the storyline. I'm emotionally connected to the characters. Um, And then dad would come in halfway through and he just starts asking question after probably a bit sassily turned to him. And like, I'm setting the scene for him. I'm giving him the context. I'm telling him everything that's happened up until this point so that he can understand where we're at before I press play again. And I think setting the scene, having some context is really helpful as we go into. Um, And as Ben mentioned last week, um, act is kind of, part two from Luke. Um, So Luke is the author of both Luke and Acts. Um, And so it's really helpful for us to kind of bring on in the lead up to what's happening here in Acts 2. So in Luke 24, Jesus opens the disciples' minds for them to understand the scriptures and the way in which Jesus of the Old Testament. And he then instructs the disciples to go, but says, but wait, wait a few days, wait until you see that the disciples are awaiting the fulfillment of what Jesus has promised. Um, And Jesus kind of just tells the disciples, wait a few days, then the Spirit will come. And the promise of the Spirit goes beyond the few days that the disciples were waiting since Jesus had promised them the Spirit. 
because the spirit of 60 into 21, Peter quotes Joel's prophecy that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Not just the disciples who've been waiting for the spirit to be poured out, but from generation to generation, there's been this anticipation that not only would a Messiah come, but that God's spirit would be poured out on everyone, God's spirit that had been given to select individuals for select times and select purposes, that same spirit would be poured out on all people. And so the disciples are waiting. And it's interesting to see what they do in the waiting. At the end, in Luke 24 as well, it says that the disciples were spending all their time in the temple praising God. The disciples aren't sure what to expect, but they know what they've been promised. And they are expectant that that which Jesus has promised them, he will fulfill. They know that he will come through on his promises. And so the disciples are just in the temple all the time, worshipping, waiting. And then suddenly, this big gust of wind And something like tongues of fire settles on each of their heads and everybody's speaking in these different languages. Everything's going on. Um, And I think when we hear like something like tongues of fire is resting on each of their heads, we're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? (laughs) This sounds kind of crazy. We can go into detective mode and think like, okay, what does fire mean? What does it represent? There's so many different things we could be talking about here as the spirit is falling. Um, And I think it's important to remember that from kind of their knowledge of Old Testament scripture and stories that they had been passed down through generations, fire would already have been associated with the presence of God. Kind of fire being like a manifestation, a representation of God's presence with his people. So in Exodus 3, we see Moses sees a burning bush and he's like, whoa, this bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And he kind of draws near to it and then God's like wait you're standing on holy ground and Moses is struck with this awe and reverence at who God is in Leviticus 9 I won't go into too much detail we see again like the temple's ready the priests have laid out albums and this big fire the presence of God just like bursts out and the people fall to their knees in awe and reverence Fire grabs the attention of the people and demands this kind of awe. And here, the people who are watching what's going on as the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 12 that they were amazed and perplexed. The fire kind of drew their attention and they're struck by this awe and reverence. In verse 12, what does this mean? What can this mean? I think in exploring what's going on here, it's actually really helpful to understand the significance and the meaning of Pentecost. You might all already know this. And so if you do, please just go with me. But as I was studying, I realized that I definitely thought Pentecost was like, happened for the first time when the Holy Spirit, what happened that day at Pentecost. Um, But turns out (laughs) Pentecost had been happening before this Pentecost. Um, So Pentecost was simply the Greek word for the date of the Feast of Weeks, which is actually the third most important festival in the Jewish calendar. Um, And originally it had been the people would bring their early crops to the Lord's temple um, to thank him that a greater harvest was on its way. 
Over time, it also became a celebration of the law giving at Mount Sinai because this had also taken place 50 days. So when we come into this Acts 2 Pentecost and expectant for what is to come, the promise to be fulfilled... The disciples are kind of joining a whole host of people, generation after generation, who've taken the time to thank God for what he's given, whilst waiting for the greater thing that he will give. And so we can see that Pentecost isn't just this like one-time wild, charismatic, Holy Spirit moment that will like never happen again. Like it's not just this like thing to look at and just be like, wow, that was cool. Um, But Pentecost is significant because it's a promise being fulfilled. There's something greater that they've been waiting for has been revealed. It's here in Peter's sermon Um, from verse 14, we kind of see that he's trying to do that. He's trying to get the people to recognize that Jesus, who you crucified, God has raised from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah. He's trying to point out to them, the saviour you've been waiting for is here and the promise of the spirit being poured out on all people, it's happening. Peter is trying to draw them to understand that the something greater they have been waiting for is here. Jesus brings this new covenant. That's part of what Peter is. I did a law degree where they liked to use fancy words to confuse you. (laughs) Um, And so I like putting things in simple terms because I spent four years studying and being like, what's going on? So covenant is just a binding agreement, which makes things feel more simple Um, and so we talk about Jesus bringing this new covenant and I think where we see the spirit falling here it's like the sealing of the covenant and so just as the people had kind of been used to celebrating Pentecost here we see the new covenant coming in in Hebrews 7 and 8 It talks about how Jesus guarantees the new covenant that does away with the old one because Jesus brings a better covenant. And so I think where Jesus tells the disciples to wait, don't go until you've been filled with the spirit. There's a better covenant and then he sends his spirit to like seal the deal. (laughs) Because where the law could temporarily clean them, It couldn't save them. Jesus ensures an eternal and then gives his spirit that they would be able to live the righteous life that the old law could never ensure for them. Jesus doesn't just kind of give us a, it's the reason he tells the disciples to wait because the spirit, we need the spirit to equip us to do what we're called into. Last weekend, I got to hang out um, with my sister and my brother-in-law and my little nephew. He's not quite mastered the walking yet. He can do a really good army crawl and can just about walk with like some help from someone holding his hands. Um, And he's also obsessed. Um, But we were like sat in the park. It was all very chilled. We were having a nice time. Ezra locks eyes on some pigeons and he's just, well, Ezra, why don't you go go and chase them? Go on trying to egg him on to walk you know but he can't walk not on his own 
can't do it on his own. And so my brother-in-law gets up, he gets Ezra up, he holds his hands, they walk over to the pigeons together and suddenly he's able to do what his dad was telling him because his dad went with him. Do you see where I'm going? (laughs) He's called by giving his spirit. So much of the New Testament focuses on a call to be like authors were like, yeah, they'll be up to the task. Like just on their own, every generation, they'll all be up to it. No, (laughs) they say it because it's the call that's been given and because they trust in the outpouring of the spirit and the spirit's power to transform our hearts and our lives. The Spirit is poured out on all people that they would be able to follow the call to be more like Christ. The Spirit isn't just for the disciples in this moment at Pentecost. It is for all people. That's why Peter quotes um, from Joel saying that it would be poured out on all people. This is the promise being fulfilled I don't think it's an accident that suddenly the disciples are speaking in all these other tongues and all these people from all these different places are hearing the wonders of God in their own languages. Because the Spirit of God will be poured out on all people. That's what Joel prophesies. I am the youngest of three sisters by quite a chunk. My next sister up is like six years older than me. Um, And so growing up, I always wanted to hang out with them and their friends. But being the youngest, don't know if there's any other youngest children in the room. Um, Sometimes it's a hard life. Um, They didn't want to play with me. And then sometimes when they would be like playing on the PlayStation or something, I'd want to join in and they'd be like, okay, Emma, you can play. Here's the magic controller. Um, The magic controller Bearing in mind, this was in the days when like, there was no such thing as a Bluetooth controller. Like, If you were playing, you had to plug it into the machine. Um, the magic controller, though, didn't need to be plugged in. I'd be given the magic controller, and I'd kind of sit there being like, okay, and I was pressing the buttons I thought I needed to press and getting so frustrated because I was like, you've told me that that's my character on the screen, but I'm pressing all the things that I should be pressing. Nothing's happening. I'm trying so hard. Nothing's coming up on the screen. Nothing was ever going to change from me pressing the buttons because I wasn't plugged into the source I needed to be plugged into. The spirit falling, driving. You'll never grow to be more like me. You'll never um, be able to do what I've asked of you without my spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. It's why he tells the disciples to wait because it's only possible once they have received the spirit. We can only become more like him once we have received the plan for our salvation is not just that we would be saved, but that we would be sanctified and become more like him. Which leads us to our third question. What should 37, it says that Peter's words struck them to their heart. It pierced their hearts and they're just pushed to ask the question, what should we do? In verse 38, Peter pretty clearly instructs and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pointing out that it's quite important to see that um, when the people ask what they should do, Peter doesn't just take them back to what's happened in verses 1 to 13 and kind of, that's all you need to do. Like, that's fine. He doesn't do that. 
he's really clear that they they can receive the gift they need to do something they need to repent and be baptized there is something that they must do when I was younger, my mum would get to like the point of absolute exhaustion. She'd be like, Emma, I've, I can't stand it. You're not having any pocket money this week unless you clean your bedroom. And she thought that that was the thing. And I was like, okay, mum, well, I just don't have any pocket money. I don't know why I was so lazy. Like I was only like cutting off my nose to spite my face, you know. But I was like not willing to do what I needed to, to receive the gift that my mum was willing to give me. And I think that's what's happening here. Peter isn't just like, oh, you don't need to do anything. Just receive the gift of the Spirit. No, he's saying, repent, turn to God and receive the gift of his Spirit. In his commentary on Acts, Phil Moore explains that um, Peter doesn't ask the crowd to say sorry for their sin. He asks them to do something far more fundamental than that. He tells them to repent which has at its root the idea of changing one's mind. Repentance is about choosing to walk on a completely new path. And so when we repent, we don't just say like, oh, sorry, and then crack on. Repentance is an active turning away from sin towards God. And this isn't something we just do once and it's kind of like, okay, great, I've repented. But like we need to keep repenting for our sin. We need to keep choosing God, choosing to walk in his ways. And we need the spirit to do that. The spirit helps us, leads us, guides us, convicts us that we would keep choosing God. So we need to be filled and refilled with the spirit. Peter gets kind of refilled by the Holy Spirit in um, Acts chapter 4, verses 8 and verse 31. There's like a refilling before he goes to do something. And we're not excluded from that. We need to keep coming back to God, being refilled by his Spirit, that we would be able to become more like him. I think when we understand that the gospel is not only about the forgiveness of sins, but it's about Christ's and calls us into holiness. We see that we are not just saved, but also sanctified, continually made to be more holy, more like Christ. And this isn't of our own doing, but it does require something of us. What do we do? We're not just chasing after the spirit for an experience or longing after the spirit because we're desperate to see, you know, like tongues of fire on everybody's heads. Um, But we come back to God and ask that he would fill us and refill us, that we can become more like him. That's the only way. It's not by our striving. It's not by our doing. It's only by God's spirit within us that we are able to do that. Um, in, John, in John 14, 15 to 17, um, it's kind of where Jesus is promising the spirit um, in John. It says this, If you love me, give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in The Holy Spirit sometimes 
we refer to the Holy Spirit as the advocate or the helper who will lead us in all us, will never leave us. In verse 39 of um, chapter 2 of Acts, Peter says, this promise is to a promise fulfilled that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. From generation to generation, we have this promise of the Spirit. So I wonder kind of where you're at this morning, what you're thinking. Maybe this summer, <laughs> that was a lot to take in. But maybe, just maybe, there's that tugging inside that you're like, maybe this is all true. In verse 37, it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. God was speaking to those people. And maybe he's speaking to you right now, calling you into relationship with him. Repent, turn away from sin, turn to God, receive the gift of his spirit. I feel like some of us might feel like we've been striving. We've been trying to um, kind of keep the, the fire of our faith going all on our own by doing, by working, by striving. But then you kind of hear everything that's going on in this passage and you're thinking, in spite of all of the working, all of the striving, my faith just feels a bit dry. It feels a bit, I feel a bit stuck. I just encourage you, be refilled by the Spirit, that he would refresh and refill you to equip you for what Christ is calling you into. It's only by his Spirit that we can do anything. Um, I also feel like maybe there's some people in the room who feels like God is um, speaking to you about obeying him and free. So maybe he's asked you to change jobs or maybe he's telling you to move to Leicester with Jamie and Debbie or maybe it's as simple as you feel a pull to speak to that friend or that neighbour about Jesus but it just feels a bit too much. God equips us by sending his spirit to be with us just as he told the disciples to wait before they went and to first receive the spirit we too are equipped by his spirit. But we don't have to think in the fulfillment of the promise that the spirit would be poured out on all people from generation to generation. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would um, speak to each and every heart. Would you come, would you draw us near to your heart, Lord Jesus. I just pray, Holy Spirit, for a refreshing, a refilling, that we would cease our striving, that we would lean into you, Lord Jesus. We just thank you um, to live and to die and to rise, that we would be able to draw close to you, to have relationship with you. And we thank you that you sent your spirit. Thank you that we are living in the fulfillment of an advocate to be with us always, your spirit that will never leave us. Lord Jesus, we commit our ways to you. We commit ourselves to you. Your call, Lord Jesus. And so we just ask for your help, Holy Spirit.
Would you come and refresh us in this moment? Amen.